0: Hi guys and welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defects Podcast. My name is Winter Fonander. I'm a comedian and this is my show. So welcome to the show guys. This is a monthly podcast. Used to be weekly, but I don't have the time or the energy reserves at the moment. Oh, talk about energy reserves. I went to the hospital for about three days there uh, because I thought, you know, I thought I had a bit of a cold. Turns out it was worse than that. Yeah. And you know what, right? It wasn't too bad. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was okay. The break was good. I thought that my brain could push my body as hard as my brain wanted to go, but that wasn't the case. So body kind of let me down a little bit, but I'm feeling a little bit better now. And I went back in for a checkup and they made me blow into this device. It was a medical device and (laughs) it read on the thing that I was maybe this measurement was 10 or 12 times more than it should be. And that I'll be like that for the next maybe two or three months. And if it doesn't change, they'll have to put me on different drugs, which is awesome. So uh, (laughs) more drugs. But I've been doing gigs and I've been comparing and emceeing a lot. And I just felt sometimes I just don't have the tank that I usually have. I mean, I'll hit the marks, but not as quickly as I wish. So that's how it is sometimes. You just can't will yourself into being healthy. You've got to accept it. Just, you know, take a chill pill or whatever drugs that you're prescribed. I've been applying for fringes. I'm doing the Leicester Fringe this year coming. I'm doing the Brighton. I'm also doing the Edinburgh Fringe, but I'll be doing as many around the place as I can get my hands on because I'm going to be doing a show and it's going to be called In Bits. And that's what it's going to be. I'm going to really enjoy doing that. And the dates will be on my website, which Danny Clives is fixing. He's got a month to finish that website. Bless him. I love him, but it's taking a long time. All those dates will be on my website for you to check out. But this episode is a very long one, but it's a very good one. I really enjoyed this moment I had with Andy's story. It's episode 55. We talk a lot about integrity, the right to be on stage, fame, myths about comedy and how he creates up strategies for coping with the mental torment that comedy can create. They're they're my words, not his. He's got way better strategies for dealing with that. The way he looks at his material is, it's not material or an act, but he'll tell you about that in a bit. Andy's story for this episode, episode fifty-five. Now, if you like this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. We're there at the Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Fonander. I'm also taking as many jokes as I can out of that Guinness Encyclopedia. I've kind of ground to a halt, but I've gotten to page hundred, so I'm doing all right. Check those jokes out. They're on Twitter at Guinness Jokes. Now, if you like this podcast and you want to donate, go to Patreon. Type in the Comedy Defect Podcast. You can donate as little as a dollar or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And those of you that do donate, thank you, because you're paying for the people that can. Those of you that don't donate, that's okay. Look, just leave us a nice, honest review on iTunes or Podbean, because it all helps, guys. It tells people where we are and what we're doing. This is a great episode with a very funny and a bit of a sage, a bit of a wizard uh, of comedy. I really enjoyed the moment with Andy, so I hope you enjoy it too. It's quite a long one, but enjoy. Episode 55, Andy's Story. Any story, welcome to the comedy defect. How are you doing, man? I'm really well, thanks.
1: It's great. What well, a lovely bit sunny day. I don't, I don't think I've been to Hemelhemster before. It's, you're, you're missing out. You're missing out. But you would think <laughs> I've been there to a gig, but I don't know if there's any, there's any gigs. There's a few gigs around here, yeah. yeah there's, there's a Mirth um, one. There is not a Mirth gig, actually, which is strange. Yeah. Usually when I go meet somebody at a train station, I usually uh, have, have gig there, you know. Yeah. I'm not good at geography and travel, so mm. I don't really know where I am. I mean, I was at the stand calling yesterday, but if you asked me where that was... Mm-hmm. My lady friend took me in the car, so I've no idea yeah. where the gig is. you know what I mean? Yeah. But I do recognise. I'm good at recognising train stations and things. Yeah. So but I've certainly never been here, but look really, really nice in the front. But do you drive yourself? No, I don't. I've never driven. I think oh, we've talked about this earlier. Actually, in the kitchen, weren't we, about fears and neurosis mm. I'm not neurotic as a person, but I, I don't think I'd be a very good driver. You know, mm. Mm. I think I'd be. Um, I think <laughs> just think <laughs> I'd fall asleep. Yeah, I just don't um, think I could concentrate. Right. I don't think I'd be, I don't think I'd have road rage, uh, but I think I'll just, I think I'd just be absent-minded. Mm. I tell you what, it might be is my, um, interesting. My father was um, long before I even knew, you know, was was alive. Was um, a taxi driver, mm. which I, I never knew that until I was a bit a, bit a little bit older. But strangely, I, as far as I know, in my in my like, we never had a car, you know. But we never had a car in the family, so I've never been used to being in a car. So on all our holidays and things, we either walked or I got the train, do you know what I mean? Mm. My granddad had a car, but in my childhood I'd never been in a car, really. Mm. Do you see what I mean? I never yeah. spent my life in a car. Wow. So I suppose maybe it comes from that not being used to the, you know, seeing the inside of a car, but I, don't, I certainly don't like the smell oh, yeah. of a summer car. You the know, the hot. plastic, that plastic dashboard
0: smell. Mm. I know that because kind of, awesome. but also back in the days like we ever used to smoke in the cars all the time as well. And there was that like sort of yeah, that, yeah. that that smoke in permeated everything and you just that yeah, just yeah. smell every that it would make yeah, everything yeah. smell of
1: that. I don't think I would ever learn to drive a do mm. thing. I think I'm just I'm too old now for dr- for driving lessons, you know what I mean?
0: My nan tried to learn to drive for a bit. She was doing some lessons and she nearly took out this other old lady yeah, yeah. who's crossing the road. And she and my nan was like, oh, I'm terribly sorry. And then she saw my nan saw that she had a piece of knitting with her. I said, oh, that's an interesting cross stitch. And they started comparing cross stitches. <laughs> even after she just nearly killed her, you know, something in common. You yeah. Know. <laughs> well, they got two <laughs>
1: things in common: imminent death and uh, cross stitch. Yeah. 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 Stitch and time, eh? Stitch but, and time. Yeah.
0: But so you're, uh, you said you're claustrophobic as well. Uh, yeah. I, of well, character. I
1: was. I would say I was claustrophobic. As I've said before, in the kitchen, you know, I try not to. Define myself with it, with those parameters, you know. Yeah. So I would say, yes, yeah, certainly claustrophobic if you put me in a small box and locked it. I mean, I don't think no. anybody would be. Yeah. But I think in a theatre or in a cinema or something, I always sit on the aisle seat or try to book an aisle seat. Mm. And we say we went to this concert, which was um, Brian Setzer. Do you know him? Mm. He was a lead guitarist from the Stray Cats. Now, he, this is a group called Rockabilly Riot. And I like a, a bit of rockabilly mm. slap bass in our know, music. So we went to see that at the Kentish Town 02 Forum. So i tell you who was there Tim Vine was there as an audience member, so he must like his rock and roll music. I saw him in the queue. It was an awful rainy night, but anyway, we we're inside. There was, I, I don't know how many people you would get in there, perhaps, uh, I had a guess, certainly 1,500, 2,000 maybe. I mean, but most of the people in the upper balcony are seated, but downstairs we wanted to be cl- quite close to the front, get a good view, I like. So I, I did when the audience started to come in, and it almost started. I did feel sort of trapped in, but I was at the side. I got at the side where they got the barrier,
0: uh-huh.
1: and so I could pretend I was sick and go up to the side. So, yeah. and I'm trying to conquer that really. I don't, yeah. I don't like the idea of that. I used to get claustrophobic very early on in a stand up gig. Huh. If, if you, as you went on stage, if the venue had no exit uh-huh. apart from back through the audience, mm. so there's, there's no sides and the back is you're sort of trapped in. Somewhere like Piccadilly Comedy downstairs, something like that. Or even Piccadilly Comedy upstairs, although that's a, it's a higher ceiling in there, it's a bigger room, so you, there's more air in there. Mm-hmm. But downstairs, certainly, sort of like a basement thing. Downstairs, The King's Head, although you can go out from the side. But those kind of games, if you're trapped. Mm-hmm. I once did a play years ago uh, at the um, Fringe Theatre, small one. And I did a f- play called Box and Cox, mm-hmm. The Three-Hander. And originally written by I think it was written by Gilbert and Sullivan as a curtain raiser. So they would have the, it's a half an hour comedy, a farce. So they would have that on at the start before a, a longer production. And it got some songs in it. It's like the Tabard or the White Bear. So a small mm-hmm. theatre. And that had no exit. Mm. Apart from the audience, so you couldn't get out, you know what I mean? mm. And in fact on one performance, Dr. Leg. do you remember where he's Dr. Leg? Mm. He, was, he was there watching mm. with his wife. Why? Yeah, I got a bit of stage fright actually and I also did a play at the Etcetera Theatre fringe play that I'd written myself mm. called Bone Bag and uh, I got a bit of stage fright then as well because I was sort of trapped, do you know what i mean? Yeah. Even when, like, when, a, when a play starts, a comedian's a little bit different because an audience can imagine a comedian leaving the stage, it might be something humorous mm-hmm. or, whereas well, an actor um, they imagine that they're going to stay on. Yeah. So if you, if you you know, you can feel trapped a bit. Uh-huh. But I don't feel that anymore. I've got over that, you no. know. Con- I think I've conquered most of that. Although I still would prefer an aisle seat in the theatre. Yeah. The cinema less so. In the cinema, there's more, ru- it's a film, so you can, you people get up in the middle of it and they mm. would go out for a wee, don't they, something? Or a refill of cog or something. Or this little big, aren't they? But in the theatre, live action, mm. Mark Rylance is on, you know, and, you do, and I like to be near the front. Yeah. You don't really want to stand up and you've got to go through, excuse me, excuse me, all the way to the end, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And that, that I think that's the fear, the social fear of when the lights go down, I'm fine for the first ten minutes in the theatre and then I start to feel sick. Yeah. And knowing that I've got to go, excuse me, excuse me, and interrupt their show mm-hmm. is absolutely horrifying, isn't it, mm-hmm. you know? I get the same thing on public transport when the, when the doors close on a train. Yeah. But I sit in the toilet area. Right. And I'm totally relaxed. This is... It's not real, you know. It's, yeah. it's a trick of the it's mind. Here. Yeah, because if I'm near the toilet... I was on today, but it's lovely it was empty today. So if it's empty, it's fine, isn't it? So it's obviously the inclusion of people. Mm. And nothing to do with the uh, trapped on a train. Because when the train's empty, I feel relaxed. Mm. So the idea of being sick, I think, of mm. vomiting in front of people mm-hmm. is the fear and I think that, yeah. that's a widespread fear I think I think so I heard this in, uh, interview with somebody I don't think it was a comedian they were uh, they couldn't go in a supermarket mm. because they were afraid of being sick and everyone seeing you know mm. and that was the people seeing yeah that was the so they didn't like shopping in a big because there's lots of people there they panicked Yeah. but I think I'll tell you what it was it was on uh, this morning you know mm. the programme yeah now, I'm old enough to remember this morning with Richard and Judy mm. and also with Phil and Fern. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's another incarnation there, and now mm. it's the Irish chap, Eamon Holmes, mm-hmm. and his wife. Okay. I can't think what her name is if you watch it. But there was a lady on there, you know, the man was trying to solve the, the people's issues, and they mm. said, well, really, you just have to go to the supermarket. Mm. And he was saying that, do you have any reference points when you've been to a supermarket and you haven't been sick? And she said, yes, every time I've been, I've never been sick. Yeah. so why you just the same as me on public transport I've never been I've never thrown up on public transport you did,
0: went to art college you said before
1: I went to I did studied graphic design for mm. four years up to an HND level at Middlesbrough Cleveland College of Art and Design mm. in fact not far away from um, where um, um, Vic and Bob you know oh yeah Bob Mortimer mm-hmm. lived on the, in Middlesbrough right where they're from anyway so the college was near there and in fact, when I was at art college, I mean, I think they were in in, in their heyday, I think, in Big mm. So I did that, and then, yeah, then I wasn't good at that, you know. I was good at the ideas the creative ideas, mm. but I wasn't good at practice. I couldn't do it. I couldn't physically. Different to fine art, because you're expressing yourself in a different way. Graphic art, you've got to be quite precise, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember the tutor saying to me, what you're doing, the ideas are great, but what you're... Your, your, the precision of it is—it's not beautiful, you know. Mm. He said to me, "Can tomorrow, can you bring me in something which you think is beautiful, so I know what you think is beautiful?" Mm. And you know, I took in—I I took in cut-up clippings of bodybuilders from from magazines, <laughs> which I think is one of the most beautiful things. And I don't think he quite understood. Mm. <laughs> I don't think he could quite understand what I was. What was in my mind, you know? Mm. But I thought that was beautiful, you yeah. know, which I still do. I, yeah, that's my surprise um, thing that I'm into. That you know, oh, yeah. I love. Yeah, I, and if you know Trev to you know Trev. Yes, I do. Yeah. Now he loves bodybuilding. He yeah. goes to all the expos and what stuff. Happened? And when he realised that I did it, it was like a shock. And, we, and then we were excitedly talking about Dorian Yates and Sean Ray and right. the Mr Olympia and all that kind of thing. Okay, I've never seen I've never seen these people live. Well, I've met Sean Ray and yeah. uh, Dorian Yates on this film. I've never seen a Mr. Olympia. Okay. Again, well, that ties in because I'm afraid of flying, so I wouldn't go to uh, America Yeah. to see. We I, I went to America, to Graceland, but that was a
0: couple of years ago. Yourself and your missus, is that right? Hillary, yeah, my lady okay. friend, yeah,
1: to uh, Graceland. It was great. Wait. But I was absolutely terrified all the way there and all the way mm. back for an eight or nine hour flight, you know, yeah. to uh, New Orleans and then and then another little flight. Yeah. But the little flight was worse because it was a tiny plane with about six seats in it.
0: Right.
1: It was awful. It was shaking through the air like mm. a like a toy aeroplane. That was brilliant. Yeah, I was yeah. terrified. But we we stayed in the in the Heartbreak Hotel for yeah. a couple
0: of nights on on Lonely Street. You know, it was all, all yeah, laid yeah. on. You know, cool. Was it Arnold Schwarzenegger that got you hooked into it, or was it like something before that? What yeah, you know, as that?
1: a young man, I did watch Pumping Iron. You yeah, know? I re- I watched it a couple of nights back on Netflix. Uh, and I know they did, they did a remastered version of it I think that, I don't think the. Net, I think the Netflix one is the original one yeah but I think there was a, a DVD which there was a new bits to it uh, I actually ha- have a VHS of Pumping Iron right. and when I went to a, a store once they had it and it was um, I think it like a collector's item now cool. so I think I own a, an original VHS right. with the, with an, in good audio so yeah, you yeah. know maybe it's only a hundred or so pounds but you know, I've got that at home in uh, in the northeast. Yeah, I think bodybuilding. same time I was at art college, I think. Yeah. I remember m- my parents coming to. I think it was the first time I'd, I'd lived away from home in Middlesbrough, mm. and them coming to see my what was a student accommodation, and on the on the walls was cuttings of was oiled men, you <laughs> know, in, in trunks. I don't know what they were thinking, but mm-hmm. but I, I remember at that point starting and I went to the gym I think so that I don't know what I'd seen but something had inspired me to I suppose any young man yeah and how old was I at art college I wasn't that young but I get I get lost off with the age when I went to things and what mm. date it was but I don't know I was late teens so. or yeah
0: I mean but everyone it, starts to lift weights and yeah, wants big arms you know, for a t-shirt of do you know course. what I mean no of course it's like it's like well, I mean I was the same. I mean my hero was Arnie when I was younger. Yeah, definitely. I mean I have got the quote up there from Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. Okay, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah, And so it's like yeah, all these kind of things, you know. That's yeah, that's a great
1: quote. I met Dorian Yates, right, I'm from Birmingham, England, of course. I met him at a seminar. Mm. This was before I lifted weights. I was it. I did martial arts before, from an eleven-year-old till I was about sixteen, mm. to quite a high level. Oh. Another thing that. So I was British champion, you know. Wow. In Taekwondo. Well, I don't usually speak about that, but I think why not, you know? Yeah. Feel relaxed. So, so I did that, and that sort of led me to, I suppose that led me into the weights arena. Yes. So I went to this seminar, here yeah, during yeah, it, in the Mayfair Ballroom in Newcastle. So I'm from the North um, from Durham, about 21 miles away from Newcastle. And that was extraordinary, but this is a guy who was, was at the time, I think he'd won a couple of Mr. Olympias or something, so it would have been 90. Somewhere in the 90s, mid to late 90s, something like that. Yeah. I'm not, someone listening will correct me on the dates of that, Trev, if Trev was here. <laughs> I'm not a geek at anything, I'm not a nerd, you know, but yeah. anyway. But at the, at the time he was 5 foot 8, he was about, I mean, he must have been two, uh, 265 yeah. pounds. The first half of the seminar was a nutrition thing, he had a tracksuit on, he looked like he had a stomach sticking out, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never seen a bodybuilder in real life. He looked like a powerlifter, if anything. Mm-hmm. Bum bag. In yeah. those days, you remember the oh, bum bag on the front yeah. in Britain on the front, yeah. and the second half he oiled himself up and came out, and I'd never seen—I could not believe it. Yeah. This guy had to turn sideways almost to get through the door on the back, and he looked extraordinary. He had, a, he had the six pack was showing through, mm. and he wasn't—he wasn't super lean, but he was—he uh, looked great. Yeah, and um, I queued up afterwards. I got a, actually got a signed picture, but I, I just remembered that I don't know where that is now. Oh. He signed it in a gold pen, you know. Mm-hmm. And I shook his hand. His forearm was bigger than my leg. Yeah. He was so big, mm. and for a man, I think, for a, I wasn't a boy; I was a grown man. For a man, I just think there's something a great power in that, you know. Mm. And also coming from the northeast of England, which is quite a masculine sort of, mm-hmm. I would say, macho sort of area mm. of, of Britain, you know. Yeah, and many other places as well, but certainly the northeast. Uh, you know I, I think that was really a powerful image, I think, and then I met Sean Ray in mm. the same venue, if you know Sean Ray American mm. uh, bodybuilder who never won Mr Olympia, but he was second a few times to um, who was he second to I think Dorian and um, maybe he was third or fourth with, you know when Flex Wheeler was around and all this can mm. kind of be but i 've never seen i 've seen a live amateur bodybuilding contest. I think I went on my own to see it yeah. it 's a long time ago now yeah. but i 'd like to take Hillary my lady friend to see a mr olympia or at least a professional one but again flying wouldn't be great but i don't know what i like about it i just think it looks great and i like the ladies one as well the, the female one i think it looks great
0: i think it's inspirational really because yeah. it's like this amount of that that effort that goes into just honing that every sinew every yeah, muscle yeah. it's just that that sheer focus and determination and it's all those all those techniques are transferable to everything else. You go. That's inspired me to do whatever I, I can so. to other things.
1: I've always, I've always been inspired by by solo mm. endeavor. You know, mm-hmm. I remember being at pre drama school. I did an A level acting course. You know, when I when I when I came away from art, the uh, drawing and graphic design, I thought, well, I want to go to. I want to be an actor. I didn't know what I wanted to do really. Mm. I want to be a comedian really, but. I said to somebody else in a sort of interview thing, I said, well, I think all of that was just putting off, the, just an the excuse not to do it, do you know what I mean? So I was slowly inching towards, from art to acting, still inching towards mm-hmm. comedy, and through that I was watching comedy you know, at the same time. But, so anything from uh, sport, boxing I like. I liked, I used to keep a boxing scrapbook when I was a Frank Bruno, yeah. or the late Frank Bruno, Tyson, uh, I think I'm old enough to... To catch the end of Frank Bruno and um, remember sort of Tyson coming in through there, and I kept a scrapbook, you know, with sort of middle to back end of um, uh, Chris Eubank, yeah. Nigel Ben, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, that great era mm-hmm. in boxing. Mm-hmm. I caught two great eras. One in in uh, bodybuilding. So that was at the same time. Was it mid to late nineties? Mm, yeah. Eubank Ben, yeah. and I listened to. I was telling to somebody. Uh, um, I did a. In a podcast with Russell Hicks, and we were talking about boxing. Someone like I listened to the Anthony Joshua fight. Was it Klitschko? One mm-hmm. of those ones. Yeah. And there's something that that transcends in that, which is beyond boxing. When I listen to it, there's something um, David and Goliath about that. Although the not with not the characters, but there's something mythical. Mm. I don't know whether it's it's a male thing. I don't know. I don't know whether anyone would feel the same thing. But there's something beyond. Human, there's something important about it. Yeah. I felt emotional listening to it, yeah. but beyond the boxing, something heroic and um, slaying of demons and warriors. Yeah, and I don't know if that's intrinsically male mm, mm. or just human, but mm. something Greek, there's something yeah Athenian, there's something mystical about it. This yeah. beyond, I was just saying with the bodybuilding, something beyond the thing. That, that it is yeah, I mean.
0: like the Rocky films, yeah, of course. It's, it's not about what, boxing. You know? Yeah, it's, a, it's an old, it's an old story where yes, the the, the, it's the, an old the story, yeah. the, the the you know the hero overcomes the whatever it is adversity. You're of some exactly kind. right. That is it. Yeah. It's an old tale, yeah.
1: which is that's it. which is older than the tale. Yeah. There's something in
0: inside, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. And you like you know you stand upon your mountain <laughs> and you're melting like, victorious. Oh, yeah, it's par- there's something powerful about it. that. Absolutely. And the anti Joshua
1: fight was really. I thought he was not going to win it. Mm. Had a feeling that he would have a great go at it. Mm. And a, he's a great boxer. And but I just didn't think with the history of Klitschko. Yeah. But of course, I, I don't know if it's not an excuse for anyone. But I don't know if age is a factor in that. Mm. With as with the tennis, you know, with uh, Venus. You know, mm-hmm. And um, the new girl—I can't think of her name—but yeah. with if age, they kept saying age was a factor, but that—that's taking away from the victory, I suppose, of the other person. Mm. Oh, Andy Murray had the bad hip—is that taking away from yeah. his opponent there, yeah. who is who is rightly victorious? But but it was a great fight, you know. Mm. It's a shame that they don't show it on the television mm. for so we can all see it. Mm. I think that's a shame. I listened to the Manny Pacquiao fight on the radio, but there's something exciting about that. I listen to a lot of the Tyson fights on the radio, yeah. and that's because you can't see, and it's quite yeah. exciting, isn't it? Yeah, to wonder what's happening, visualize what they out. look like, absolutely. You know. And then you're straight on YouTube afterwards to see yeah. if anyone's filmed it off of the yeah. off of the sky or whatever it is. But I'm looking forward, of course, to the. uh I'm not I'm not au fay okay with all the people, but the. Conor you know, McGregor. Of and, course, and McGregor, yeah. William yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Mayweather, yeah. Yeah, Mayweather, yeah. That's it. That's that, going to be interesting. That's exciting. When is that anyway? is that soon? That's the end of August, oh, I think. Oh, right, OK, great. So while we're away. in it... Are you in Edinburgh? I'm in Edinburgh for the month, yeah. So while we're in Edinburgh. all oh, right, Somebody will screen that somewhere, surely, will not yeah. All the comedians will be yeah. watching that in a pub or great. around somebody's house, I'm sure. Mm. Or at least on the. I'm sure it'll be on the radio. Mm. I think the price to watch it was. I saw 98 quid or something, to see something. I remember watching boxing on the television, surely even the, the Chris Eubank fight mm. was televised for a so regular like, person to watch. I think, yeah. I think it was on just a normal mm. television.
0: You take inspiration and, and some drive from other people's sort of like solo endeavour, as you say. For sure, yeah. And, and like, is there anyone like that you, at the moment, where you kind of go, totally, that is like say if we're going to relate back to stand up is there anyone you go that is where I would like to get to or, or I would like to spot stand up people that? yes
1: most of my influences are outside of comedy you know mm. in terms of I will tell you who I went to see I tell you two two people i mean that they're they're, they're they're at the top of their game yes. you know mm-hmm. i saw billy conley oh, yeah. at the at hammersmith apollo mm. Could have been last year. Could have been the year before. Can't quite remember. But he wasn't well. Mm. You know. Got the paralysed arm, you know, down the one side. And, it, and he stood by a little table with a, what were some notes on it. That kind of thing. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think at one point he forgot what to say after about ten minutes. But mm. there was a bit of a silence. And people were shouting, we love you, Billy. And all this kind of mm. thing. But it was absolutely, I mean, you know, absolutely. I mean, there's not many comedians who so are out of the seat. Yeah. Laughing, I mean out, I mean out. Not even, mm. now. don't mean that in a metaphorical way. Mm. I'm over the knees and I'm out of the seat, yeah. jumping up, falling out of the seat, mm. And it's so funny. I'd seen or heard a lot of the material bef- before on a radio thing or whatever, because mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. But he's the only comedian, one, one of, and that's the other one I'll tell you in a moment, comedians that I've seen, who on the way home even being a comedian, I would say to my Hillary, I'd say, "Was some of that made up on the spot?" Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I'd heard it before. Yeah. It wasn't made up. I'd heard it, but so convincing was it that it looked like t- somebody talking and breathing, you know. Yeah. And the second person who I saw in Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh last year twice, was Tommy Tiernan. Wow! Yeah, who I'm a huge fan of, yeah. and I've met Tommy to speak to, which mm-hmm. is great. Twice. Mm-hmm. Last Edinburgh and then at Angel Comedy when he, he did 10 minutes, Pretty you know, <laughs> yeah. something he was working out for television. And I spoke to him then. But what a great comedian. I mean, one of the very best, I think, in the world, as with Billy Conney, I think two of the best comedians in the world today, mm. no doubt, not just in Britain, but around the world, I think. And I saw his show twice last year. Was it Out of the Whirlwind? I can't think of what the name is. Is that of the, the improv one? It wasn't the improv, no, it was no. A, a scripted one. All oh, right. I didn't see the improv one, yeah. although Russell Hicks, I think, who I spoke to, saw it saw it, said that was great. I wish, I, I wish I'd seen that, but I'd listened to anything that he, he spoke about. Mm. And he is a phenomenally great, charismatic, like Billy Connolly, comedian. Mm. And the third one, which really influ- which has been a huge influence to me, is Frank Skinner. Mm. Now, I met Frank Skinner to speak to, which is a great joy. Mm. How many times? Once. And it was after my first ever gig, and it was yeah. such a strange story. And My Hillary said, Well, that's a good omen, you know. Mm-hmm. I did my first ever gig at the Lion's Den. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I don't <laughs> need to say it to <laughs> anyone. <no>. Shaftesbury <laughs> Avenue.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, I'm a big frequenter of the Lion's Den mm. to this day.
0: Mm.
1: And would you know, I'll probably be there tomorrow night before I go to Edinburgh. I stopped going for a while, then I started again. I really like it. Got a really good PA system mm. and a really nice lighting. Mm. And uh, of, of late, they've been getting quite a, a, a decent audience size. And I liked him, you know. And, yeah, and uh, when you get to a certain point, mm. you can do 10 minutes. Yeah. So I did my first gig there. And then afterwards, and it was Hillary that, that marched me down to the gig. Actually, I didn't want to do it. I did it in theory. Mm. My life has been a lot of theory. Right. And she said, well, just do it. So I did it. And afterwards, we went for a celebratory drink. Now, in those days... I drank alcohol. I don't anymore. It's been four years since I've had a drink. So it's been about four years since I've drank alcohol. And then I've been doing comedy for six and a half years. So then I I was a drinker. Mm. So we went for a Prosecco at Cafe Coa, which is just next to Wyndham's Theatre. Yeah, behind Wyndham's, in the West End. Mm. So we went there for a drink. So we're having a celebratory drink. I did my first gig. I'm a comedian, you know. (laughs) And who was in there but Frank Skinner, with a friend. Male friend. And I said, I can't believe it, look, Frank Skinner. So I thought, shall I go over and say hi? But it was in Café Coy. It's quite a nice, well-to-do. It's not a pub, you know, it's a a restaurant bar. Frequented by theatre types. Maybe next, the backstage of Wyndham. So maybe those types will go in there. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to interrupt him in the Place where you'd go to after a show. Anyway, as I saw him leave, and I thought, I just can't not speak to him. He's leaving. I may never see him again. So I I followed him out. And I ran after him down the side street. And I said, Frank Skinner. And he turned around. And he didn't look very pleased, to be honest. But that was probably my reading of it. And straight away, I said, I'm a comedian. And his face looked like it softened. And he stopped. And I said, I've just done my first ever gig. And he looked alright with that yeah. so I was a bit nervous I said it's great to meet you and he said this he said well I am the ghost of Christmas past you are the future of comedy
0: mm.
1: Re- remind me what's your name I told him my name he said well I'll, I'll remember it's a, a polite thing to mm. say and what a lovely thing to say to somebody mm. that he was the old guard as it were and this is a new yeah. person When his first gig so that was great and my Hillary said well that's a good almond isn't it that yeah. you've met your what was at the time, you know, I mean, still is a, a great comedy hero. So. Mm. But I respect Frank Skinner in, in all different ways, but in, uh, mainly in his writing. Mm. Some of the most beautiful, beautifully crafted and well-written mm. writing that I've ever seen in stand-up, mm-hmm. I mean, in any, you know, anywhere. I mean, you know, so something like Jerry Seinfeld or something like that. Mm. But it's, it's beautiful, I mean, great... Uh, so the, those those are the three main ones I would say influenced me mm. coming at, uh, as a comedian. Uh, but more more in the comedy sense. Because you yeah. know you don't you don't you don't get to know about these people that you know a lot of performers, you don't know about their about apart from now when you do have a podcast, Stuart Goldsmith's podcast, you get to know the nitty gritty mm. of the thing. So you they can't really be an influence in terms of uh work ethic, because mm. you don't know yeah. the ins and outs of that. You're right. D- not sure about that. So right. only in comedy-wise. O- what they all have in common, which I suppose I'm looking for in my my comedy, mm. is, is that they're effortless. Mm. Certainly Conley and Tiernan,
0: yeah.
1: it's supposed to appear to look like a man, a person talking, whereas Skinner... It's effortless, very effortless. I mean, absolutely superb. I've seen Fred Skinner many times live. He is posing as, in many ways, a comedian, mm. telling you funny things. Mm-hmm. Whereas the difference, I would say, Tiernan and Conley are presuming to be people
0: yeah.
1: telling you their real things.
0: Yeah. Do you see the difference, what I'm trying absolutely. to say?
1: Absolutely. So in... In my comedy, I would say I am posing as a human, uh-huh. sharing my stories, mm. and I'm not posing as a performer, mm. a comedian. Mm-hmm. So that I would differentiate. And I've thought about that as as I've gone along. So I would never mention in my, uh, while I was on stage, I'd never mention uh, something funny that happened to me at a gig. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I like to keep, try to keep the worlds separate so the world I'm creating is a is a person. Mm-hmm. So that's quite difficult. But I think that's something that I, Tommy Tin and we, we were expected and Billy Connie to believe that these anecdotes are real. Mm-hmm. And Frank Skinner as well, but you know, do you see what I mean? No, absolutely. There's a, there's a
0: difference there. There's, there's, there's no barrier between you and the audience. You're, you're, I've seen your act before, it's very quite surreal in some places, isn't it? Yeah. And you're sort of like your, you're, you're looking through the this mask of being a human and then showing them the abstract lives that we all live.
1: Yeah, I would like to think it wasn't. I'll tell you who who did that really well. It was the forerunner. And has been, in many ways, uh, sort of seen as the prerequisite before his time as a alternative comedian, mm. that was Frankie Howard, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And when Frankie Howard started, what a lot of people don't realise is that he was one of the only comedians at the time to wear his own clothes. Now, when you look back now, he's wearing a suit. What a lot of comedians would wear now? Mm. And let's say live at the Apollo or something. But at the time, comedians had costumes, mm. you know. Let's say someone at the back end of, uh, not literally the back end of Max Miller, but, you know, mm. wore a costume. A lot of these uh, variety acts had, were were comedians mm. posing as comedians. Mm. Whereas Frankie as when Frankie Howard came along, he was he was pretending to be a person that had arrived there by accident almost. So he had his own clothes on, the brown suit, a bit tatty, a bit of a stain maybe on it. Mm. And he was saying, "Well, I'm not with those people. I've just wandered up here.
0: Mm.
1: And w- well, while I'm here, let, why don't we talk about oh, you know." Yeah. My back or whatever. I've got a bad, this bad back. But I'll tell you a couple of jokes while I'm here. Yeah. See how well it all, you know, you're not understanding it, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's interesting for me that watching old tapes of that, mm. I find, I mean, obviously I never saw him live. I'm not old yeah. enough to remember him, even on the television or anything, but mm. he's a fascinating character in that Very sense. Nice. Very and I suppose I've been influenced by, do you know, I'll tell you something interesting. When I talk about my life, I did a gig a lovely gig in uh, with Paul Rickett. You know Paul mm-hmm. Rickett? Yeah, a lovely gig, uh, out of bounds gigs. You know the Richard mm-hmm. Minnis ones, and I really like those ones. And this one was in a, in a school, a lovely big audience. You know, they ever so nice gigs, and I wasn't opening. I was in the middle there doing a the full set in the middle, and sometimes when I afterwards an audience member will say to me, "You don't seem old enough to remember these things that you're talking about." I just think the North of England maybe was so backward, you know what I mean? Mm. When I talk about Frankie Howard and things, mm. I've been influenced by that. Mm. Maybe that was through my parents or, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't yeah. know how I was influenced mm. by those things.
0: Yeah.
1: I talk in my act about making a bean tin telephone. Do you remember the, the two tins yeah. with the string in it? Uh-huh. And Someone said to me, you don't look, someone said in a review, Bruce, Bruce Dessau did the Piccadilly Comedian final. Yeah. A couple of years back when it was last year. He said he doesn't look old enough to remember that. But I spoke to a comedian who was in their 20s who remembers that. But sometimes I think maybe the north of England was backward. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we did those things. Yeah. Olden, maybe those olden day things remained for longer. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? In mm-hmm. the northeast of England. Yeah. I know my grandma, people don't believe my grandma. This is a, mm-hmm. true. I mean, to the day probably bef- before she died, she had a, a mangle. Yeah, and a yeah. post tub, you know this. Yeah. I, don't, I think she had a washing machine in the latter years, mm. but but the post tub with a stick in the in yeah. the metal barrel, you know, yeah. and the mangle to mat to dry the clothes or to at least take the water mm. out was a thing. And, and they lived in York, but that was right up until through the nineties and the two thousands. Mm. You know, what think all the the. The, oh yeah, that used what, to play that in a skiffle band. you what, know, yeah, of, It's like a like a, a little uh, board, isn't it? With a metal corrugated yeah, thing. The, I don't I, know what that was. What was that for? Dry. It's, it's, it? I guess for scrubbing. You know, scrubbing, you, yeah, scrubbing. Yeah, yeah. You have a thing in that. Yeah, but some people had those yeah. in certain parts of Britain, mm. and uh, so I just find that an odd thing. Mm. So the influence of Frankie Howard is an odd, an odd thing. I don't know where that came in or what I was watching. I don't think Frankie Howard would have been on the television. Mm. I might have caught the very back end of um, Larry Grayson. Right. But I don't think these people were on the television. When I was young, I think it was yeah. Joe Pasquale, maybe. Right. If I was thinking Seaside Entertainment, would have been... Um, carry-ons? The back end of the carry-ons would have been little and large, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Rather than the
0: Frankie Howards would have gone by then. Uh, when I was younger, I don't think we were that different in age-wise. Yeah. But I think that when I was younger, I think that the, 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 you know the, all the Monty Python stuff... That was gone, but that's still yeah, all yeah. around. Everyone's like, "Have you seen this?" And you get yeah. back into that culture, and you just Did get. You, blown you like the him? Pythons? Love them, love them, great.
1: I'm the opposite. You know, I can't do it. I just know. can't do it. Yeah. And I can watch it, but I, I don't like. Um, I mean, you mentioned my act is a little bit surreal, but I don't. I can't watch surreal comedy. Right. Mm. I absolutely adore Eddie Izzard. Yes, Brilliant. but I just can't. Brilliant. I just can't bring myself to face it to laugh at him <laughs> or um, Noel Fielding you know yeah. the mighty oh. Bush even I tell you who's a I mean these are brilliant comedians oh. I tell you who's a brilliant comedian um, Ross Noble yes yeah. and he's a Geordie you know But mm-hmm. I just can't, I've watched his on YouTube you know I, I, what an extraordinary comedian and I love the improv stuff mm-hmm. you know when he's talking Riffing, if you would call it that. I don't like these comedy terms, but talking <laughs> to the audience and making it funny.
0: Yeah. we we'll had have this whole
1: debate about crowd work, that which is. I hate that. You're right? I mean, he doesn't do these things, but if I say something like a badger with a ukulele. Mm. Do you know what I mean yeah. by that kind of humour? Yeah. I just find that not funny, you know. Mm. I just, it's a surprise, is it? Something in my psyche, I just... You know, if it's some Eddie on he says something like uh, jam or some, some mm. badger yeah. eating jam or something. Mm. It's always like badgers, isn't it? Yeah. Or a horse with uh, I don't know, or a mole, a talking horse, a mole, shrew, or something on a skateboard or something. Yeah. I, just, I, just, I just gotta find that. Fun. I just gotta find <laughs> yeah. that funny, yeah. even though they're extraordinarily talented. Yeah. I tell you that. I tell you the level of surrealism that I can do is mm. Sean Locke.
0: Yeah, love
1: it. I tell you for why? Because Sean Locke... And you could probably argue that Ross Noble and Eddie Izzard do the same thing and I just don't get it. But he starts in reality. Mm. So he might be walking around little or something. I can, I'm there, I can, I'm there. Mm. But then suddenly he's opening up a, a, a can of something and wasps, you know, mm. uh, cooked in their own doings or something. And suddenly mm. it's this surreal thing. He's a, he's a brilliant comedian. I, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get a better comedian than Sean Locke. Yeah. Absolutely. At the top of his game... Mm. Brilliant man in a purple van. If it's just a purple van man, there was the, the, the last DVD I think mm. was absolutely brilliant. Uh, mm. You know what bugs me a little bit when people say, "I think they mean," mm. I think they mean their own counterparts in comedy. One, I've heard people say in interviews and things, younger comedians that comedy's not in a great state or that it's not great. Mm. Maybe they're forgetting the people who are still working mm. and just talking about their own class mm. of in their own lot, but, yeah. If you look at the Edinburgh brochure last year, the year before, this year, oh, I mean, there's so many... There's brilliant comedy. Mm. Tony Law, yeah. Sarah Pascoe. Mm. I mean, Ivor Graham. I mean, if you, you know, live at the BBC, you watch that. There's great. Mm. It's great. I mean, Sean Locke's still working. Eddie Izzard's still working. Lean Mack, you know, Alan Carr. Mickey Flanagan's on tour again. Yeah. Why are people saying that comedy's not in a great... Do you know what I mean no. that? You hear looked, that? They haven't looked in the right places. I think they mean themselves yeah. for some reason. Well, it must be, yeah. But even new com- newer comedy, mm. there's brilliant comedians. Mm. You know, in terms of, you might not like. I don't know if you like the person, but the creative ideas. you know, yeah. some brilliant comedians. And I was um, I did the stand and calling yesterday, which I did last year. A great festival. I think I think it's very early in the comedy. I think they maybe did comedy. For the first time last year. So said think it's a new mm. for comedy. It's a great Grace Jones was on. She's not funny, but she was yeah. doing music. <laughs> yeah. Gary Newman right. was playing as as we left actually on the main stage. And some younger ones that I don't know. You know, some uh, other music. But I think comedy's in its infancy there, I think, was last year. And I did the first one last year. But I opened yesterday, full set, mm. but who else was on the uh John Robbins mm. was headlining Nathan Caton mm. Andy Robinson who was a regular MC at the Glee if you don't know who mm-hmm. at Birmingham Glee Tanya Edwards yeah. and me yeah. I mean why Why? you know what a lovely line up there you know all different all doing interesting things mm. you know and there was comedy on on the Saturday and the Sunday on the Friday as well mm. and uh, Robin Innes yeah. all different yeah. comedians yeah so, well, is the wealth of uh, co- comedy now, if you know, is creative wise, is, is in rude health? You know, mm. maybe on the circuit, financially and stuff. Mm. Maybe maybe that's not great. But you know, people like me coming through as a comedian after six and a half years, I don't know if the circuit is. A, I don't know what that is. You know, mm. I certainly haven't made any money. Since I started, you know, mm. and I don't mean I don't get paid money, mm. but I've not made any money above the line of yeah. n- losing money. I've not mm. made any money mm. in the six and a half years that I've been doing it, you know. Mm. And I've gigged you know, the good gigs, you know, mm. the, the, all the places you you would mm. want to gig at. Mm. But I think I tell you what the positive of that is. I think. If you, um, this is a, my opinion, I, I always preface it with that, like, you don't need to say it's my opinion. <laughs> I said that before, you know what I mean? I, I'm the only one speaking here, so you know what I mean, at this point, so I don't need to say this is my opinion. Yeah. People would know that. When I moved away from looking for money, huh. I got better gigs, you know, mm. in better places, and I'm more fulfilled at this point, you know. Mm. I think when you start comedy, you want to tell people that you're I got getting a paid gig. And that's natural. So you say, oh, I'm getting a paid gig here and mm. twenty pounds, forty pounds, whatever it is. <laughs> but as soon as I realised that well I had a day job anyway. Mm. So essentially I didn't need any money. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I thought well, why don't I just look for gigs that that are nice ones and good ones. So. Mm. then you're getting at the comedy store, you know, late mm. and late shows at the comedy store, the glee ones, the stand ones. Mm. And they're unpaid, you know, at this, at my level, 10 minutes, whatever you're doing, 15 minutes, whatever it is. Mm. But that's better, you know. Mm. So I've really, you know, in the last couple of years, really improved my lot, really, in terms of the gigs, you know, and the CV, mm. the boat show, whatever it is, Yeah, is. They've all been relatively unpaid or totally unpaid. Mm. But then again, I work in the daytime, so mm. most of the time to, to afford Edinburgh and things. Yeah. In the, in the theatre, children's theatre. So I think comedy's in a good state and I do, I'm not so much worried about the circuit element, you know. Mm. I'm not sure if there's any, a career to be made like somebody that's been going for longer than me on the mm. circuit, you know. Mm. You did your first Edinburgh show, was it with Tom Ward? Tom Ward, now the dates, I don't remember. So that I think that was 2015. Right. Because Tom and War, Tom was in the final of the BBC Comedy Award was already been in the final of that. So that that would have been August we did the show and then I was in the final in the November of the same year. Mm. So I think that was 2015. We did the PBH Cowgate uh, show, yeah, Split Hour, yeah. which was brilliant. It's was called Award Winning Story, cool. which is great. <laughs> so I think that was a great show, yeah. Mm. And that was great working with Tom and everything. Yeah, So that was a success, I would say, yeah. mm. from my point, you know, from the... My, from my personal point of view, mm. and then the year after, I did a. Oh, I went to the counting house, mm. which was then the Gilded Balloon. Oh. So it moved from the Free Fringe to the Gilded Balloon, which was well. The year that Tom and I did the Cowgate, that was the Cowgate was under the microscope for some some weird stuff. Oh, oh, there yeah. was something There, was a, there some, was a swap.
0: Some people had booked rooms, and other people had taken those rooms, and it was all going up in the oh. air, wasn't it? was the free-stable, free-stable thing, that's right. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. So,
1: that was that year. The year that I did the counting cast was the year of the debacle with us. Yeah, Every year, it's... you see, was yeah. the, should it be Gilded Bloom. But you know what? I was so well looked after. Mm. And they had front of house and they had the situation, you know, where the audience went in the bar and then they were shown to them. You know, it was all laid on. Yeah. And they had people doing the tech if you wanted it, you know, I mean, you're paid for these things and I, I didn't have that. What I did, I thought was, I did 45 minutes a show called Funny Story, mm. which is very well received, mm. uh, some nice reviews and it was sold out for half, almost half of the whole run mm. on the board, you know, Gilded Balloon board at the TV, it sold out, I was sort of very proud of that. Mm. It got a lot of footfall there and mm. did a lot of work flying. and. They put up all the posters for you and everything. It's all laid on. The Gilded blue, looked after you so well in there. Yeah, so what I did tech-wise was I thought I'd be quite lonely because mm. it was my... It's just me. It's a solo show, isn't it? I'd never done that before. I thought I'd be lonely. So what I'll do is I'll ask people that I'm working with on the London comedy open mic thing, different comedians, to come in one every day for the whole month or mm. as long as they could do. Pay them from the bucket. Whatever I, you know, whatever at twenty pound, ten pound, whatever at fifteen quid, whatever it was, and they could sit at the back. But the idea wasn't to do the tech. I had no tech, you know. Mm-mm. I had play some music at the end. That was it. I did my own start, you know, yeah. and I recorded this thing, my own voice introducing me to the stage. But they just played the song at the start, at the end. But I thought, well, I'll be, i be less lonely then. Mm. So that's what I did, you know. And I got a lovely most, most of the t- most of the thing was done by either my partner Hillary or. A lovely actor called Will Newell. Do you know Will? Got no. a tall chap. Lovely comedian starting out on his comedy journey. But he helped for about a week or so. He was working there now, actually, in Edinburgh. Mm. And he came to see me at the stand, actually, to show, show support when I did the three stands, you know. Mm-hmm. But he helped out, did the tech there. So that, that eased the loneliness. And I got used to knowing how to do a solo show to, just on my own, you know, mm. and how to how to work that what that would feel like. Mm. And I think I did a couple of shows, maybe one show, and that I did it on my own. And mm. that was quite strange. Mm. With a full house, just me. Yeah. And I did my own tech, actually. I took a CD player on, did my own tech. Yeah. Not, no, it was just fine. Yeah. DIY style. That m- was the making of me, really, the yeah. solo show. Mm. Because I realised that I could really do it. Yeah. And I did 45 minutes. In fact, some days I stayed on, did the full hour, you know. Yeah. And I really had a, what I used in the in the previews was a music stand, you know, mm-hmm. a classical, classical music stand with my notes. And so mm-hmm. I used that in the in the show, you know, mm-hmm. and I worked off that. So every day I was changing the running order and doing different things. Yeah. And by the end of it, I had a really good show. And that was the show that I was, it was a rehearsal really for the hour this year. Oh, great. was the whole point. Yeah. Was to do a work in progress and work the material.
0: Yeah.
1: Which was a theme sort of thing, but it was just existing, all the, the material that I'd got so far. Mm. So that was the plan for this year, but that didn't sort of work out. So I still did the previews for this year with the director, Kevin Shepherd, Right. Who, if you do know Kevin. I don't. No. Yeah, he's a lovely comedian in his own right, an yeah. excellent director. So I was working with him. Mm. <clears throat> I still did the pre. preview. In fact, I'm still working with him now, and he's going to come to Edinburgh. Great. And just if he, if he couldn't attend the previews, I sent him a tape. I filmed it. Brilliant. So you've got some notes still from the last one. So so I've got this hour show, <clears throat> which I was going to call No Ordinary Eccentric, which I thought was nice. Ordinary, eccentric. it was a really nice little thing there. And um, so I've been working with PR and stuff. But that didn't work. So that didn't work out. So I'm going to I'm shelving that. But of mm. course, in a year from now, that show, that material. Mm will be better, but also, yeah. it will be different. The, the title will change. Of course. And I got yeah. a photo, had a photo shoot, so the images will change. Yeah. And it will change, so a year's time, a lot can change. We could all yeah. be dead by then, so... <laughs>
0: do you know what I mean? <laughs> got, no, absolutely. But it's going to be wonderful. I mean, once you you, yeah, know, yeah. you have it in your head now, and it's going to be just, just like, as you said, like before, like, breathing. You'll be like, okay, this is the bit. Yeah, so, so all of that material there,
1: I'm trying not to do that in Edinburgh this year. Mm. So but I think I'll probably top and tail... Yeah. The forty minutes this year with mm. maybe t- ten or uh, seven or eight either either end. Mm. Put the new stuff in the middle, you know. So, um, so hopefully this year I'm going to come away from Edinburgh with I'm um, doing two shows, but I'll come away from Edinburgh with hopefully a solid. The goal is a solid half an hour yeah. of new, mm. all new material. That's no, nothing in the mm. in this hour that I've got. Yeah. So then by September, October, November of this year. I'll have... I'll put some of that stuff that I've done in Edinburgh into the weekend gigs Mm. to really test it out. And by Christmas, you know, I I hopefully have a solid hour and a half there. Mm. Which I think is great. Six and a half years in. Mm. And then by next Edinburgh, who knows, the goal would be to maybe have two hours, you know, that I can plane down into a a debut. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited about that. That's great. So actually... I'm the kind of person, in retrospect, that would say that not doing it this year has been brilliant, mm. been a godsend. I'm, I'm an atheist, but let's say a godsend. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's that's a great uh, position to be in. Mm. And I've been, you know, people talk about years doing it and all this kind of thing, but I think um, six and a half years now, I think that's really early.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I have no uh, qualms of no frustrations about anything in the industry. Six and a half years in—that's mm-hmm. too. Yeah. It's far too early, and I—I I did a, a gig a, a couple of weeks back at Piccadilly Comedy, and I really—it was all coming together. Yeah, Open there, the Piccadilly downstairs, and it was all coming together, and the voice and the and the overall feel of the movement of the of the pieces together. Yeah, and I thought, okay, this is great now. Mm-hmm. But I suppose, as you know, every six months or so, you you turn another corner and yeah. you think. I've got it now, Then next six months you think, oh, I didn't have it because this is better. Mm. And with the stand and calling yesterday, I was first up and it was in a tent and there was lots of background noise and it was a festival, people coming and going, there was children there. Mm. But I really enjoyed it and I really felt at ease. Mm. And I'm so relaxed now. Mm. And I'll tell you a very good thing that I've learned is that as a human person, as a child, I think I was on the edge could have been on the edge of precocious. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not full precocious. Not how you'd imagine Robbie Williams Mm -hmm. being. And I really like him. But I think there was something of that in me. But sometimes I think as a child that can be squashed. Mm. And certainly as you go through adolescence into adulthood, you can get rid of that Mm. and think that's not a good thing Mm. to be, is precocious. Mm. But that is what is driving me at the moment. And that is what's, what drives the, um, I don't like to call it a set, I, don't, I won't mm. call it an act, but that's what drives the, um, let's call it the comedy yeah. when, I'm, when I'm doing it. And now that I'm tapping into that, there's nothing wrong with wanting to stand in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to, for people to look at you mm-hmm. and to be the centre of attention. And I think to overcome that, and to be on the other side of that, as I am now, mm. and that's the that's the motor mm-hmm. underneath the mm. what I would what what the art, you know, under the creative writing mm. and the imagination is is the is the precocious child. Okay, do you know what I mean? Right. So that's there's true. nothing wrong with that.
0: That's your right that's that would be your like say your line for, for who you are on stage is the preco- You're your precocious child pretending to be human. No, I don't, th- I what, don't what? think
1: I don't think that's the, the comedy voice. Okay, right. But that's the motor. The motor, right. The so I, if I'm if I would say to myself, which I don't, but the subconscious before I go on to the stage, yeah. why am I doing it? Right. You come up with a different reason. Right? Sure. That's the reason. Okay. The show off. Yeah. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And I'm saying that for my benefit, but I'm also saying that for somebody else's benefit. And I think there's nothing wrong. It's the same in the industry when people, we, we can become very um, self-deprecating. Mm. That's a human device. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you were to ask me, what do you want from comedy? You can be self-deprecating and try to stay away from saying fame. Or stay away from saying panel show. Mm. Or you would maybe stay away from saying uh, ambition. Mm-hmm. Or those things that seem or have been led to seem as as empty mm-hmm. and false. And ugly as well. And ugly. Yeah. But I do believe in uh, laws of attraction. Mm-hmm. And I was telling, talking about this to somebody else. And I was saying, if you if you don't put it out there, mm. you that's not going to, it doesn't come to you and see. Mm. there's nothing wrong with, with having, I was, I was going to try to make an analogy there, you know, the cake and eat it. I was going to say there's nothing wrong with having your art and <laughs> I couldn't think of the second <laughs> bit and eating it. Yeah. But that doesn't work. But you know what I mean? There's yes, nothing yeah. wrong with, with wanting to be an artist because even the great, uh, this is the argument I was saying, do you not think yeah. that Bob Dylan didn't want to be famous? Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that he, mm-hmm. that's what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can still be an artist and still want to want to show the art on a big s- stage. Mm. You want to be compared. Mm. Do you don't think a great artist wants to be compared to another great artist. Mm. Not a great artist wants to be compared to someone in a pub. Mm. Or a... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think there's nothing wrong in, in admitting that. And I think this is the same thing I was saying about the precocious child. There's nothing wrong... With, with saying
0: that the motor is look at me, yeah, I' in a spotlight' I I think Ryan that's now. good that's I think that's that's really interesting because I find that like you know because when you start to do like that self deprecating thing can be a real vicious cycle, and you can start to, to believe, believe it, it exactly yeah, that's thats course, exactly it course, and the, yeah. the dangerous thing is i mean that I'm writing my show at the moment, and a lot of the stuff is from the past, and it's a yeah. story based show with a narrative and I've I, done the material quite a lot, yeah and it's kind of. You know, I've, re- I've run through it many, many times now, yeah. and, it, and it really starts to, if you're not careful, can drill into your head You go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm feeling everything yeah. that I did feel, but now I did it for jokes, but now I've brought it to the fore, and now I'm living it again. Yeah. So that is, yeah, so that is, it, that that's, it so. strikes a chord with me right now at this moment, That what you're saying.
1: Look, if you said to somebody, it, we're talking about laws of attraction, and I see you've got the artist's way as well. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I love I did morning pages through Edinburgh last year every morning at what, six a.m. Yeah, for the whole month, and it really helped wow. me out. But the laws of attraction for me and the artist's way—the way I depart on or zone out on these books—is that is it mentions God in the book, you know? And laws of attraction again, there's some spiritual journey there, but I'm not uh, a partaker in that. I don't, I don't believe that. No? I'm not into that. So, but laws of attraction—if, for example, you're talking to another comedian you know, and you said to them, you know what, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an artist, I'm going to do this on my own. Mm. Don't need management and I don't want to sell out and do a panel show. So you say that to somebody and then this is the simple laws of attraction. They're talking to somebody else and say, that Andy story's good or winter Anders could or I might like him on my thing and then say, no, he's going to do it, and he wants to do it on his own. He doesn't, he doesn't need an agent. He doesn't mm-hmm. need management. This is laws of attraction working in reality. Mm. so this is the basis of it that you put out into the world mm. the smallest seed there. So if you lock off from all of the just a minute, mm-hmm. so absolutely if you're going to be whatever so you're
0: closing doors for yourself right you? closing doors and that's
1: what laws of attraction is. you go mm. outside you you face the world and other people in a positive way mm. in a friend it's difficult I mean mm. I'm not saying it's easy and then that that comes back to you like karma is the same thing for me that's not a that's not a spiritual thing it's not a real thing it's not magic it's only in many ways evolutionary or a practical consideration social exactly you do a good deed and that is returned Mm. through this uh, winding series of events the the butterfly
0: effect come back to you through our pack mentality that we all have isn't it yeah yeah okay you're looking after me wrong well that's fine that's one part of my pack there I can trust them. They're good to me. I'm good back to them. Oh yeah, I remember that. Thanks. And it's all barter system we're working on, isn't it? It is.
1: And I think, but I think it's liberating. I even feel powerful talking about mm-hmm. that. Excuse me, precocious child thing, mm. and also the spotlight. Uh, look at me thing, and also mm. the, um, you know, the wanting, to, wanting what you actually want, you yeah. know. And even then, I felt I stopped myself from saying it. Yeah, the word, you know, interesting. The word fame or the mm. word. Like it's difficult to say it. Yeah. It's difficult to say, you want to be well known. That doesn't rule out the integrity
0: yeah.
1: of the artist. No. Daniel Kitson is playing is playing to big audiences. Mm. It does not, Lee, it does not rule out that you're playing to four men in a do mm. what I mean. Mm. They've they've both uh, many people have, have integrity. Mm. I mean, Mickey Flanagan has integrity, mm. or Michael McIntyre. They have integrity. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned someone like Kitson or something. They're not playing to nobody. He's playing the roundhouse, however. That's not ten people in there. Mm. Do
0: you know what I mean? Like, just because you say you want fame doesn't mean to say you haven't got any work ethic or you're not striving towards something. And Kitson might not want fame. Yeah. But surely he wants to show his work Mm. on a
1: level that Mm. can affect people on a larger and larger level. Yeah. this must be the... Must be the thing, you know. Yeah, that's it. It The argument could be, yes, we would do it anyway. Yes, I think I would search out a spotlight anyway. Mm. But just because I'm searching out a spotlight doesn't lessen my integrity Mm. in what I'm doing as a comedian. Mm. Neither does it lessen my integrity because I went to drama school. Mm. These things are a false notion Mm. that because... And you hear it said, an actor. Also, if you say, oh, this person... Is doing comedy, and then they, then you see them presenting a television program. That mm. doesn't lessen their integrity. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see people off the curb, or whatever, and then they're hosting a TV program. That's, I don't understand why that's a negative. Mm. And the, they're still brilliant comedians. Mm. Jack Whitehall is a brilliant comedian. You don't, you don't come out of the wings. At live at the Apollo mm. and host live at the Apollo mm. at the age of 20 whatever he is without having a great skill you know, I don't understand why people would say these things, mm. you might not enjoy the comedy mm. and that's fine as Eddie Izzard, a great comedian I'm not laughing, mm. but it's brilliant you mm-hmm. know, but to to do that Jack Wine, whoever it is they're superbly talented. You take the same person, they're cri- criticising, and put them in the wings tonight and have them come out and host live these programmes. It's very difficult mm. being a comedian, you know. Mm. All I'm saying is that none of these things lessen the integrity in which you are doing the thing that you're doing, you know. Mm. I'm not less a comedian because I went to drama school. Mm. Nobody's saying that, but you hear this... Of other people, mm. as an
0: actor,
1: mm. so on and so forth. You don't I, need to be. I,
0: you know, I'd argue that the other other, other side of that yeah. you were saying earlier. I mean, it's, it's hard to to keep centered, especially if you haven't come at it from a a, a performance background. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is a, a, a massive advantage. I think that yeah. that and teachers because they were used to speaking in front of people and yeah. in in many many yeah. people. But really. you know
1: what what that mm. tell what that says about me and, and mm. those people is that I started performing when I was about ten or eleven. Right. In the amateur dramatic, mm. dram- amateur dramatic deus, <laughs> but what that shows to me is the opposite. That shows to me mm. somebody mm. with a desire to perform. You yeah. know, a desire to, and it was always comic roles anyway. But a, 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 a desire as a child yeah. to be a, in entertainment. Mm. So that's the opposite of what mm. doesn't lessen the integrity. In fact, is a person. Who you might say was born to do it, mm-hmm. not the opposite. You know, in this country, stand-up comedy mm. in British uh, stand-up comedy, I always say is the is, is history is, is on a spectrum of um, in many ways, but on a spectrum of light entertainment mm. from Harry Hill, that kind of thing, from Jason Manford, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Let's go back further back than that. Uh, Joe Pasquale kind of thing, Little and Large kind of thing, Frankie Howard kind of thing. And let's go forward from that to Alan Carr, mm-hmm. to Sean Locke, to Mickey Flanagan. There's a similarity between all these comedians. And then you have the other comedians.
0: Mm.
1: I would say that the, the Light Entertainment ones, I would say they were actually English. Mm-hmm. And the other, the Billy Conley, Scottish, the Irish, mm. the uh, Dave Allen, mm-hmm. have something other to offer. Mm. But then you've got the Americans, and um, what I would call, what I call psychiatric couch comedy, mm. is not what we were doing mm. in this country. Mm. And I think now, the huge influence mm. of that kind of comedy, brilliant comedians in the American ones, brilliant I mean, Jerry Seinfeld actually is not psychiatric couch comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Louis C.K., I would say, is, this is... By the way, these are my terms. Mm-hmm. Nobody else's terms. Mm-hmm. I have some strange terms mm-hmm. for comedy. Chris Rock, Louis C.K., Lenny Bru- Bruce. Bruce. All the ones, anyway, what I call psychiatric couch, mm-hmm. talking about real things mm-hmm. in England. We had... Um, it wasn't until, you know, quite later on that that we changed from The Man Walks Into until it was... I walked into the bar into mm. that, that sort of change around mm-hmm. but what I'm trying to say is we have all these different styles and they're, they're all one you would call stand-up comedy mm. in, in then because Americans invented what we perhaps what we would call stand-up comedy and in this country what I would call light entertainment now you could argue the point semantically uh, vaudeville uh, um, variety mm-hmm. let's, let's call it what I call entertainment now my point being one would call one entertainment the other one would be called stand up comedy mm. but for my point of view the Mickey Flanagan or the Alan Carr is is not doing it with less integrity mm. for me it's both stand up comedy do you see what I mean yeah yeah absolutely. one is not less mm. because one has been done in a holiday camp mm. one is not Michael Barrymore you know, another influence of mine actually. One is not less to my mind just because it's on a Saturday night family entertainment show. Mm. It's not. That person is, hasn't got less integrity. Mm. And sometimes I feel that. And this was the whole thing with the club comedy thing that came about, as you saw in the various comedy publications. Sort of looking down on club comedy. Club comedians, do you see what I mean? Mm. And saying what they were doing was sort of club comedy, again, sort of this looking down the nose at this kind of thing. Mm. But my opinion is people aren't doing it with less integrity, mm. is my point. You're still an artist, whether you're Michael Barrymore. <laughs> Controversial <really> <laughs> point. I'll say anyway. I think there's no less integrity applied to the performer if you're Barrymore or you're Daniel Kitson. Mm. It's the same. From the outside, you can have whatever opinion you, you want. But from when they walk out from the wings, hmm. they're not doing it with less integrity. Hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah. There's still the work ethic, there's still the drive, there's still the it's discipline. It's Exactly the it's same. The same. So the same. So it's difficult. I think we should have respect ultimately yeah. for all, you know, all the performers. It's yeah. difficult to, to walk out there and I think, I think that's important, you mm. know. Mm. Have great respect personally for, for any kind of performer,
0: you know, whatever level, you know. Mm. It's, it's very difficult. And going back to when you spoke to Frank Skinner after your first gig, and that's the thing. So you've got to be humble to yeah. learn to be aware to yeah. get better to so yeah. uh, whatever level you're at. You, you can only be humble because yeah. you're going to be humbled wherever you go. It's going yeah. to happen. You can't always control everything. You I can't control everything. I think there's, so, there's a lot of cliches and things. Another cliche,
1: which Frank's can reminded me of there, someone say, you know, when you're starting out, whatever, If you you can read them and think they're, they're real, you know, mm. and say something like, um, Someone, a comedian who says they're not nervous is either lying or not very good. (laughs) Now, Frank Skinner said he was never nervous. Now, is he lying? Well, he's certainly great. Mm -hmm. So it's not the other one. So you were saying he's a liar. I mean, I was never that nervous. Mm. And I don't think... I'm not nervous anymore. I mean, I'm hardly nervous at all, but I wasn't that hardly nervous when I started. But I don't think... I don't think that's because I was an actor. Right, Okay. That's just a person, I think. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, the way... The way I see stand-up is not an act, you know. I don't see it as an act. I see it as is sh- sharing, sharing the ideas, you know. So mm. I don't, I don't see it as a putting on an act or doing an act. Mm. For me, I think that's how, how I'm mean, perhaps I survive it because if, for me, I, I don't really think someone who said never, they've never bombed before, you know, <laughs> is, is either lying or rubbish. But again, I, it depends the way you the way you view it because yes, people haven't laughed before, and have some. Awful. So you would you would call that dying? You know, got some awful gigs. Yeah. One last year was is terrible. You know, all sorts of ones. Yes, where well, you'd call that dying. But but because I consider it sharing ideas, mm-hmm. for me they just they just were ideas. They just what, the audience just were interested. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I suppose it's maybe a survival thing in my mind, but I don't view it as a as an act okay. or a joke that didn't work. you know what I mean?
0: Is there any other <clears> mental <throat> uh, gymnastics or arithmetic that you've done to? get to this point of like, you know what, right, to, to get you, you calm in this situation? I just think that was already in my mind, okay. you know. I think I've always been a performer, so I, I, mm.
1: I think I would never never have called myself an actor, really. Mm. I like the idea of performer, you know. Right. Maybe I don't know even stand-up comedian, I don't. I don't like defining the thing, you know, mm. it seems mm. uh, seems childish, really, not to... Yeah. Not to say I'm a stand-up comedian, so let's just—I am—but <laughs> I think I already had the. I think my personality yeah. is a perfect match for stand-up as a performer and also stand-up the industry. Mm. I think I—I I think my personality already has the prerequisite things had them in place already mm. to survive. If you want to call it that, sounds dramatic. Survive the industry. Mm. I'm not in the forefront of my conscious, self-critical, mm. and I'm not in the forefront of my brain, depressed, anxious, any of these things. Mm. In the subconscious, that is, maybe all working itself out there. Yesterday, I had a great gig, the standard calling, but there was a few bits, a bit I missed out, that I forgot to do, and some bits, and the premise wasn't quite right. I couldn't quite. I'm still not doing the right premise. Leading them into a bit doesn't quite work, but I'm but I'm not thinking about that on the way back from the gig. I never think about it, but the subconscious is thinking about it, mm-hmm. but not. In my, I'm never thinking about it. And on the way here today, I made some notes on my phone about the bit, but I didn't think about it. Don't live
0: my life thinking about myself. So you have your id and your ego balanced. Yeah. So you go look. Id you carry on the background working that out? Yeah, I'll just carry on with what's going on right now. Yeah, you can be depressed in the background. I'm not
1: interested. I never dwell on anything. Yeah, I could bomb at a gig for sure. Take me five minutes. Brilliant. Even less. Brilliant. Not even thinking about it. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Honestly, don't care. But somebody's thinking about it. Yeah. In my some part of me in there because the next day I've I've worked on the stuff Mm -hmm. and I'm making notes that have come from my brain, how to make it better. Um, but I don't live my life uh, worrying about stuff. I said to Russell Hicks, actually, mm. which is, uh, it sounds like a confession mm. of illness, but, <laughs> I, but I've seen the end, you know. Right. And I mean that in terms of life, mm. so I'm not affected by anything in the present. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yes. To that degree, because I, I've seen the end, and the end is near. That sounds like a Bible thing. I'm not religious, and I don't mean the end of the world. I mean the end of life, sure. my life, and that, that I'm not ill. You know, it's not a confession of. I think I've always felt that. I mean, sure, when I was younger, you know, I've had all different thoughts that are different to this. Mm-hmm. But certainly as an adult, and I think that's what's certainly driven me on to achieve things and to you know get better and improve and you know learn. And I'm all for learning in the in the in the industry and as a comedian and you never know it all, and mm. I'm, I'm certainly not arrogant, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not even a self-publicist. I'm, I'm not that kind of person, mm. but I'm very sure. I'm not frustrated by anything in the industry because in the final of the BBC mm. in 2015, and the final was at the Comedy Store, it happened to be there. It wasn't always there. The year Tom Ward did it, it was the Comedy Store. Maybe that was the first year, I might be wrong, but so I was there in the afternoon. Live, Steve Wright in the afternoon. And I got through the short straw and I was on first. That was a real turning point for me mm. in terms of the physical comedy. And I had a really good show. And afterwards, I was approached by agent, agents. And I had sit-down meetings with different people. And for whatever reason, some didn't quite fit, you know, what they wanted or what I wanted. And we don't need to say why, but for whatever reason, they didn't... They'd seen the act, they'd liked it, but it didn't work out. Mm. So then, going through some doing some gigs, and then I thought to myself, you know what? That's fine to do it on my own at this point. Mm. And I met some agents, and that didn't work out. What was I thinking about? I mean, what? Just sometimes you have a realization of what are you talking about? And I didn't quite understand what what I was doing, you know, in terms of focus, you know, mm. what what is that? I thought, well, the, the point I'm trying to make is. If you perceive in your subconscious or your semi-conscious that no one in the industry has any interest in your person, it's difficult, it's difficult, it's difficult to express what I'm saying because it's like an esoteric thing. Yeah. It's, it's, not real, it's not a practical thing. Yeah. You're just doing what you're always doing. What I, what I sort of realised was those things, they don't sort of have an effect on, I was saying before, the integrity of what you're doing. Yeah. You're still doing it.
0: The, the thing was in, in an end of itself. You got to the comedy store. Yeah. You were doing your... You I opened was, for the comedy like, It was great. It was great. It was amazing. This is... And I, had a, and I wasn't nervous.
1: And I had a great gig. Yeah. And I was first up. And I did a late show for the comedy store. And I was chatting there with some of the comedians that I knew. Uh, luckily, I knew the, some of the people backstage. Uh, so even more relaxed. Mm. My first late show, quarter to midnight, I was on. Mm. Doing my longer stories you know I was delighted to open with a story that has no laughs in it until about a minute in You know, was <laughs> quarter a minute, I was, that's what I did you know Great. delight that was really was very exciting mm. but the name was announced and I just sort of skipped in and did it and what I'm saying is that that is that is what I'm doing you know Yeah. and I think with that attitude the gigs I get and the, the success that I'm having is is because of that mm that the focus, for me, has always been, I suppose that's what I'm saying in a, in a simplified way, on the on the work, you know, the integrity of the work, which then, if focused on, reaps mm-hmm. the rewards mm-hmm. that are in this subconscious, mm-hmm.
0: do you see what I mean? If that no, makes absolutely. any sense. No, I
1: absolutely does. That if you yeah. focus on the industry, that, that for me, something I was saying before as well in Edinburgh, but the festival, an arts festival, presumably when it started was... For the artist created to do something, try something different, you know you do mm. your art in the closing of it as a comedian, mm. and then you go and do something different, you know whatever but it seems to me industry led mm. that you go there and you're under pressure to do your best thing or to showcase the best thing, whereas I think this year I'm just and the you know the years I've been there just gonna do what I would like to do, mm. and if that's using. The opportunity in a free show mm. to enjoy with the audience some new ideas mm. and to share those new experiences that I've been having. Some of them which might be hilarious, some mm. that might be semi funny, some that might be not funny at all, but might will be still interesting. Mm. Hopefully, you know, with some charisma, you can I- enjoy that. Whatever the outcome of the bit that you're doing, the story. Mm. That's what's important, and I'm, I'm sure that's what the Fringe was there for mm. in the first place. Mm. But I understand the industry. I'm not, you know, like I said before, I understand it and what it's there for and how that can forward a career. But as Tommy Tiernan said, you know, what, what is, is there such a thing as a career? You know, what is mm. that? What? So there's two sides really. Yes, I want a career. Hmm. And yes, I want to be paid, you know, make a living from it so that this is what I can do as the only thing. Do I have to do a day job? And that's what most people want, I think. But the main thing, is that I'm doing it and I'm creating. And that is also a life choice and a lifestyle and a life ambition. Mm. But that, I think, is the key to success. Because with that, all the cards are stacked in my favour. I can't lose here. There's no loss. There's no failure in my mind. At, in On a minutiae gig level, in a career, I'm doing sort of inverted fingers, whatever you call that here, in mm-hmm. a career level, there's no failure there. Mm. Because I don't understand these concepts, I win either way. So either way, great. Because I'm doing, that's, I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean? I think, I yeah. think that's important, and uh, I really feel that when you get the knocks, which we do as human nature, they don't. As I say, that's working on a subconscious. Mm. Somewhere in my subconscious, might be <laughs> a bipolar, <laughs> depressed. I upset some people there by saying that depressed or whatever. Broken person. And Maybe all humans are broken. Mm. I don't know. Certainly, day to day, mm. night to night, even in the darkness of a darkened room when my Hillary's away for the week. Mm. Although I'm not, I'm not great on my own. I, I've got a friend of mine who, when he's on his own, he said he walks around the house like a dinosaur in the dinosaur movement mm. when his girlfriend's up there. So I think I can be like that sometimes, mm. but I'm never. Sad, you know, yeah. and I'm never about comedy or, or things that are, you know. Yeah. I'm not a psychopath, I'm sad about somebody dies. You know, I'm yeah, not coming course. across as a psychopath, but I'm, I'm not cold. Yeah. Life is too very, very brief to be overly concerned. I, I see a lot of these posts on Facebook, and people are getting excited about mm-hmm. Edinburgh, but it's an arts festival. That's mm-hmm. not, I read one, make sure. Yeah you drink try to drink some water mm. it's not World War One <laughs> it's not the Tour de France do you know what I mean yeah, don't yeah. drink I would say don't drink any water if, that, you, if you crappy? like a gin and tonic yeah. drink a gin and tonic if you want to eat biscuits for the whole month Sure. eat biscuits yeah. enjoy yourself you know mm. don't get too yes do it with integrity uh-huh. and yes with passion <laughs> but you don't need to yeah. It's not a sport. And a lot of the time well, it's big industry now, of course, mm. careers and things and people take it very seriously and they understand that. Mm. And you see actors nowadays there was a time when actors Oliver Reed and things used mm. to well he died of course of mm. drink. It's very sad. Peter O'Toole mm. used to tell anecdotes about drinking. I mean you I mean nowadays the young actors, I mean, you probably might not might not work again if you mm. talk about that kind of thing so you've got your heavy on water, you've got your man's bag like I've got a, you've got your satchel and mm. your heavy on water and your script you turn upon time vitamins, vitamins. yes of course and it's big industry now mm. so I understand if people <clears throat> treat it as a sport you keep fit you take your electrolytes <laughs> in a water yeah. before you go on and we've all seen it happen that's fine you stop watching you do it very professionally and there's only and, and I'm all for that yeah but I think sometimes for my own personal point of view it's an arts festival. Mm. Do it for fun. Mm. And uh, if you want to have a biscuit or a, beer. a lasagna with a cheese on the top, <laughs> one night. To a, or a a biscuit or a lasagna, love it. Or a lasagna <laughs> with a cheese on it. You don't. Well, I'm a vegetarian, no. But okay. you can have Linda McCartney of course. Of course. mince. Don't, don't deny yourself. Don't deny yourself. It's an arts. Really enjoy yeah. it. I think. Mm. I and mean, when if you're doing a solo show, yes, there's a lot of stress involved, but treat yourself and it, mm. don't take it too serious. Yeah. Don't take it to heart, you know, which we all do. I mean, we're all uh, a sucker for, you know, reading something or whatever.
0: And carried away. We come to the to the end, man. Yeah, obviously. always. But like, it's it's been great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It. Yeah, It's, yeah, great. it's great. There's great. There's been some really good stuff in there. Some stuff I might even use myself, you know, like the way yeah. you've locked the inner away into the sub. You carry on working the back there. I like that. It's great. Yeah, I think that that can happen. That's yeah. a real
1: thing. I think. Mm. I think that can really happen because
0: yeah. that comes from me when I come on stage. Sometimes the a block. Oh, what if you don't listen to this workout? Why do I need to talk to you right now in my head? Right? Oh, this person that's, needs to be... It's very difficult.
1: Mm. But that person needs to be not there when yeah, you perform. Exactly. You know you have a
0: great kid. Mm-hmm.
1: You're nowhere. Mm. That's nowhere to be mm. To be this person yet. Yeah. And now that it. person for me is really far, far back. That's out. great. I mm. don't hear I don't hear the
0: voices, you know. That's There's good. no one telling me I'm no good. I've made friends with them, but now he needs to go away. That's what it is, you know. So that's you don't need hard. it, you know. But that's it. That's you need it. to stop thinking. Mm. You know what I did as a
1: younger person? Mm. I thought too much. And now I don't think. Yeah, great. That's great. <laughs> I try not to mm. think. Mm. And I just do. Yeah. Physically do. If you're nervous about the gig, you just you just walk to the microphone. Mm. And you open your mouth and you say, good evening. yeah, And you've started. i tell you, this is, I tell you what, if we're closing. This is, yeah. Perhaps I've kept, I've kept this in mind. But when I was... I worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company as an actor. And I was there for a year and a half, two years. I did Julius Caesar, King John, Hmm. in 2003, 2002. The first night of King John was... was The man who played King John was Guy Henry. He was uh, um, famous recently in Holby City, the main character. He could see I was nervous backstage. It's a big venue, the Swan Theatre, Stratford-upon-Avon, Shakespeare country. The Royal Shakespeare Company, Hmm. my first season. He said to me... Look, all you have to do, and he said this, shoulders down, breathe, and we're on. And that is perfect. Mm. You don't need to think, you don't need to think, am I a good actor? I remember the lines, shoulders down, breathe, and you walk on. And you've started. And this is the difficulty for a lot of people, is starting. They can't get over themselves enough to start doing it. And as you know, once you've walked on your first gig, or whatever it is you want to do in life—to mm. say hello to somebody, to asking the girl out, mm. to starting a piece of art because you think you're no good at drawing, to singing in public for the first time—you mm. just have to do it. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, there you go. Oh, you start. <laughs> on. I mean, I, I'm pretending that now because I'm a very good singer and take classes. You have to just begin, mm. and you realise it's not what you think. Mm. It's so easy. Yeah. it's easier comedy anything it's easier than you think and I think it's not what you think mm. I'm not trying to force it yeah That's it. It. it's easy life yeah. is easy if you stop thinking yeah. well Andy Story thank you for coming to the comedy and the phone, phone d- the phone didn't even charge you <laughs> in all that time <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was episode 55 with a very funny a bit of a sage Andy Story Go find him on Facebook, go follow him on Twitter, and go and see him live. You will not be disappointed. Episode 55, great one. Really enjoyed it. You can follow this podcast on Twitter. We're there at The Comedy Defect. You can follow me at Winter Phonander. You can also see all those jokes that I'm tearing out of that Guinness Encyclopedia. And they're up on Twitter under the handle at Guinness Jokes. I'm also, I say I'm applied for Brighton and I've got a space in Brighton and I've got a space in Leicester and I will be getting a space, hopefully, in Edinburgh. But there'll be loads of fringes so I'm going to be putting all the dates on my website that Danny Clives is hammering away at right now. If you like this podcast, you can also, you know, why not donate? You go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast, you can donate as little as a pound or a dollar or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. Whatever you feel. Or if you don't want to donate, just leave us a nice honest review on iTunes or Podbean because it really helps, guys. It's pretty easy now. Just do it, use the app. You can do it on your app. You know, whatever, how many stars you want to give us. Do what you like. Next episode is episode 56. He's an Australian. There's a couple of Australian podcasts coming up. His name is Jez Watts. He runs a gig in Perth called The Nasty Show, and it's the filthiest, dirtiest material you can possibly do. I met him in Edinburgh. He did his show, which was sex, lice, and videotape. He managed to fill that room every single date of the Fringe. It's episode 56 with the very funny Jez Watts, and that'll be the end of year's episode. Until the next episode in December, wrap up warm.